We're in the book of Matthew, and um, I'm spending two weeks on Matthew 11, 25 to 30, where as we go through this part of Matthew, in this passage, Jesus says this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a well-known spiritual, an African-American spiritual that people sing. It was recorded in 1938 by Louis Armstrong, and you hear it all the time. It goes like this, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. I've, I've been at countless football games, and people sing that. I have no idea what that has to do with football. I, I don't. I, I don't. It's like singing amen. I don't have, what's that got to do with anything, but people do it. But I, I love the song, and if you really read, look at all the verses, uh, all the statements, it's, it's really a, a gospel-laden song. Let me give you a couple of other statements from the, the, the spiritual. Oh, oh, when the stars fall from the sky, oh, when the stars fall from the sky, oh, will you be in that number when the stars fall from the sky? We're speaking of judgment. Oh, when the, when the, when the trumpet sounds its call, oh, when the trumpet sounds its call, will you be in that number when the trumpet sounds its call? And then the last little stanza I really like because it's a gospel invitation. It says, oh, brother Charles, you are my friend. Oh, brother Charles, you are my friend. Yeah, you're going to be in that number when the saints come marching in, question mark. In other words, are, are you going to be in the number, brother Charles, when the saints come marching in? And, and really, that's exactly what this passage is asking. Jesus says, no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father and the Son except those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And so you're sitting there and you go, well, am, am I the recipient of the revelation of the reality of who Jesus is and who the Father is? And the answer is given by Jesus. If you've received this information, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to the cross. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I love this passage because it is a gospel invitation to come to Christ for the very first time. If you've never repented of your sins and come to Christ by faith in the finished work of the Son of God upon the cross. So I say to you this morning, come to Christ if you're weary and heavy laden. Run to the cross, weary and heavy laden people, and he'll give you rest. If you've been a believer for 50 years and you've sought to be honoring unto the Lord, uh, I, I say to you, weary and heavy laden believer, and we are weary and heavy laden at times, come to Jesus and get rest. So one thing I'll ask you, uh, uh, believers, uh, are you weary and heavy laden? 
You should be <laughs> at times. Are you weary and heavy laden? Because you go to John 15 where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're a branch. And if you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything of spiritual good, basically. And you say, Lord, every day, I, I can't pull this off. I am weary and heavy laden. You just pray the Lord's Prayer. We're taught, we're taught to pray. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm weary and heavy laden. When I read Romans 7, and the Apostle Paul says this, uh, in, in verse 19, he says, for I, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Evil, bad stuff. And uh, are you weary and heavy? Are you sometimes you get sick and tired of your sin, of your, your curt spirit, of your uncaring spirit, of your fantasy life? of your unforgiving heart at times? I, I, I do. So, so I, are you weary and heavy laden? I've mentioned a few months ago, and I've got a lot of giggles about this. I got a pair of socks, Hallmark socks. I got a Hallmark t-shirt. And I just mentioned that I've been watching Hallmark movies. And everybody thought that was funny. And, and uh, Hallmark movies are, are, they're just, they're fun and they're predictable. You, I, I read recently, you shouldn't read while you watch a movie because you're not training yourself to be in the present. I don't know, but you can, you can read three books and watch a Hallmark movie <laughs> because you know it's going to happen. I mean, the first, the first 30 seconds, there's a man who meets a woman, maybe parking a car in a department store, and you think, I know what might happen here. And so they, they meet and they like each other and they date and they get married and they get married in, in, the, in the snow. It always snows in Hallmark. They love snow, so you're, you're, you're in the snow. And so you're, you're, every, every Hallmark movie is just, is just filled with unrealistic silliness, to be bluntly honest. And I like unrealistic things. Sometimes you want a princess movie, you don't have to think and, and, and lament. It's a whole lot better than Game of Thrones, I've been told, but that's beside the point. I, I like Christian movies. Uh, Christian movies are family entertainment. They can be good. So some of the earlier ones were kind of not that good in a lot of areas. But here's my problem with, with Christian movies, the way we see them, is if you really love the Lord, you, somebody gives you a pickup truck, you win the state championship. You, if you're a guy, you marry somebody that's a whole lot better looking than you are. If you can't have babies, all of a sudden you start having babies. If you have cancer, all of a sudden your cancer is gone. That is not life. Life is filled with sorrow. I know people that are coaches that worked and labored and broke down film day after day, and they went, they went three and eight. I know people, I know husbands or, and or wives who fasted and prayed that God would save their marriage, but their spouse still walked out on them. I know parents who've done everything but, but, but given their bodies to be burned to see their children walk in the way of Christ. And they're better dads than I will ever be. And their kids have given a stiff arm to the reality of Christ. These things happen. See, we live in a fallen world. And I say to you, because of the sin around you, because of the sin in you, because of the worldly system, there should be a sense of time that we are, we're, we're groaning. Romans 8 says that, that we, we groan 
along with the creation, we groan longing for the redemption of our bodies. To be done with sin, to be done with aches and pains and backache and diseases and poor sight. We long for that. See, part of, and I just, are you groaning? I said last week, how's life going? Answer, battles and blessings. Thanks be to God for the blessings. There are so many blessings. It is so sweet and so good, but there are battles too. So I look at this and I go, the only way I will run to Jesus and stay there is that if I realize I am indeed right now, right in this particular time of my life, existentially, I am weary and I am heavy laden. And I need a Savior every day. And if that's the case, I'll run to Christ. And people try to find rest in different places. I was reading, this is on the front page this week of the Wall Street Journal. Mindful knitting. True story. There, there, there's a movement for people to get together for 45 minutes to an hour and uh, you come in and there's, a, it's a, there's a called mindful knitting and you knit or you crochet and you put your mobile devices over here and you have to concentrate and there's a rhythm to it and, and there is a, a supposedly it, it's, it's, it's calming and it's a therapeutic and it's called mindful knitting. Uh, and I, I thought that, that's, this is incredibly interesting. One person mindfully knits who was a fourth year a medical student wants to be an orthopedic surgeon and feels that, that will develop dexterity so that he can be an orthopedic surgeon one day. And he goes on and says, this is just interesting. I thought that, that according to the, 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 the craft, what's it called? The U.S. Craft Yarn Council. There are 38 million people who knit or crochet in America. Now, that's 12% of our population. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I think the craft, I think they're, I think they're lying. I mean, I, just for fun, how many of you knit or crochet? Don't, if that's fine, raise your hand, don't be, okay, there's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. I mean, that's, I mean, and, and if, probably, a couple of the guys raised their hands were men. Thanks for your honesty. And for showing a bold, brave face. I wouldn't raise my hand faster. That's about sad. Anyway, so, so, but people, people do other things. They do Eastern meditation things, which is really bad. They, they do things like, um, they, they get involved in the arts, which is very good. They, they, or music, which again, I think is very good. They involve, are involved in de-stressed diets. Get rid of sugar and caffeine. It's supposed to make you more calm. Um, because we all want rest. But Jesus says, I'll give you rest and rest for your souls. What a promise. So we're going to talk about rest this morning and how to find rest. Now, in Karl Marx wrote a book in 1848, Das Kapital, a guy named Frederick Engels. And in the book, which was kind of the, the pathway for communism, he said that religion is the opiate of the masses. Um, Lenin, who was one of the primary leaders of communist Russia when it started, the leader who was also an aggressively horrid man, said, yes, religion is the opiate of the pieces, but also it's, it's nothing more than a spiritual booze for the misguided, close quote. 
And, and there's kind of a modern day statement that says something like this, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. And when I hear that, I, I want to say to them, you got it. You got it. Christianity is for weary and heavy laden people. Christianity is for people who say, I need a savior. Christianity is, will never be, find a home in the self-satisfied, self-made, Horatio Alger, I can do everything, man or woman. It just won't happen. So I ask you, are you weary and heavy laden? We looked at 1 Corinthians last week. God, God chose, God chose the, 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 uh, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God chose the, the powerless things to shame the powerful. God chose the things that are not the lower class, to shame, shame the things that are, the nobility, the aristocracy there in Corinth, so that no one may boast except in Christ. So, so are you weary and heavy laden? We've made the statement from something called the Vine Project that a disciple is a forgiven sinner who is constantly learning Jesus in repentance and faith. A forgiven sinner who is constantly learning Jesus in repentance and faith. It's an ongoing thing for, for people who say, I need, I need a savior. If, if I were on a, a, a street survey and someone were to ask me, uh, what is the most famous statement made about the Christian faith outside of the Bible? If I was on Jeopardy getting destroyed by this guy that's winning millions of dollars all week, you know. This will be my answer. The most famous statement about the Christian faith outside of the Bible may have been made by a guy who died in 430, whose name was Augustine, and this is what Augustine said. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. That's what this passage is saying. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. So, so first of all, step through the passage, then talk about the yoking process. The prerequisite is weary and heavy laden. We've been talking about that. Weary, heavy laden. I need a Savior. The second is the promise. You'll find rest for your souls. What a promise. Rest. And, and then, and then the, the process is being yoked. Some of the guys I was reviewing the passage with this week said, you got to explain what yoked means. We're not an agricultural community. I said, yeah, it's true. Uh, a yoke is something you put on a, a farm animal, in this place, case, two oxen, and it holds them in place, holds them together in some type of syncopation as they go forward to plow a straight furrow or to carry produce to market. It's a yoke. a yoke is that which holds one in place under the wise oversight of a teamster. So, so in this case, the yoking process, Jesus says this. He says, I am humble and gentle of heart. Wow. Wow. What a, what a great promise to come under, under the oversight of the living Christ. He says, listen, I'm humble and gentle of heart. I'm humble. I always think about Matthew 7 when this hits. When I read this, Matthew 7, Jesus looks at all these parents who love their kids. 
And he says, if you then, though you are evil parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to his, his own? How much more? I mean, so, so when you think about somebody being under the yoke, maybe your most precious, tender person in your life that believes in, in you and loves you and cares for you, just multiply it times 10 million and you've got Jesus. That's just wonderful. And in fact, I was, I was thinking about this, and I'm, I was reading Ephesians 2, and I just thought, so don't forget this. I was reading Ephesians 2 in my Bible reading this week, and Ephesians 2 is a tough passage. Verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. You were dead, dead, in which you used to walk when you followed the prince of the air among whom you also lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And you were by nature, listen, by nature, children of wrath, deserved destruction, judgment, destruction. Listen to this though. This is where it just, this is where the trumpets blow. But God, being rich in mercy, because he loved us, because of the great love, ESV says, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace you've been saved. It's nothing you do, it's the gift of God. And I, I was reading that, I thought, you know, it's, it's easy to, to miss the little clause in verse four that says this, because of the great love with which he loved us. And I, I said so to myself. So do not forget that God loves you by the cross. So, so the yoking process. And there's a quote in the worship guide from my favorite Puritan, John Owen. And uh, the, the, the verbiage is, is clunky because he died on August 24th, 1683. So you, you, you spoke a little different in 1683 than you do today. But I, I, let me just read it because I think it is just so good. Listen, he's given himself as an all-sufficient God to be enjoyed by the creatures, to hold out all that is in him for the satiating and making them blessed. Satisfaction, making them blessed. That is alone discovered by and in Christ. In him is a father, a God of covenant, wherein he has promised to lay out himself for them. In him has he promised to give himself into their everlasting fruition, fruit producing, as their exceeding great reward. And I thought, yeah, man, yes, great reward, fruit producing, satisfying, enjoying, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. And then he says this, this is a place of delight. He says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about that. Now, I'm, I'm reading that. I'm, I'm, I'm pondering the text. I'm looking at it. I'm going, yeah, that's, but, but, but chapter 10, Matthew, Jesus says, you know, when you follow me, at times father will betray son and son will betray father and They'll haul you before councils, then you'll have to give a speech. And he said, I'll give you the utterance to speak. Don't worry about that. They'll, they'll do that. And this is some tough statements. And I'm saying, but, but how, how can you say his burden is, his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Here's my answer. Because Christ 
delivers. He, he fulfills his promises. He, he saves, he guards, he guides, and he takes us to heaven. The whole world system, more about that in a few minutes, the whole world system operates on the law of diminishing returns usually. It just does. I had a chance to be with some people yesterday. We were talking about the joy of long-term relationships. They were celebrating a long-term marriage. And, and I asked me to say a little, some few wor- a few words. And I, I just went to Philippians 1. In verse 6 where Paul says, I am persuaded that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And I said, you know, as I look at me and you guys, if I depend upon us, to bring this good work to completion, I would be despairing because I, my heart is hot and cold. I'm up and down. But the, the, the saving, the guarding, the guiding, and the taking to heaven is all on the shoulders of the triune God who does not change. And that he who began a good work in you, listen, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. And, and so he delivers and it's glorious. And, and, and you read this passage and you just want to go, blessed be the name of the Lord. So let me talk to you about the yoking process. Four quick points. Number one, hear this. You will be yoked under something or someone or some system or some ism. It is impossible not to be yoked under some thought system or, or, or philosophical thinking. Um, you, you're going to be yoked. Even, even the most wildly different guy who claims he's an individual is part of some, some movement. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says this. Uh, he, he says in, in verse 16, these words, he, he says, do you not, do you not know uh, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So so what he's saying is this, it's, it's strong medicine. Either you're a slave to righteousness through the cross, or if you're involved in any other system, you're a slave to that which doesn't deliver. That's it. Slave of righteousness. Or just, you're going to be slaves of something. You're going to be under the yoke of something or someone. I vote for the reality of Christ, whose yoke is easy and, and whose burden is light. Number two, idols don't deliver. There's a quote in the bulletin from a wonderful book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. I'll just read the last two sentences. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And he says, there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is the term Worship. Living in this wonderful area with health and a certain amount of financial flexibility 
and modern-day conveniences. I just talked to somebody recently who's moved here from northern Virginia, and I said, I'm so sorry it's hot. And they said, no big deal. We have air condition. I said, amen. Thank God for air condition, you know, especially today. We have these conveniences. It, it is easy. It is easy to love the gifts and forget the giver. It's, it's easy. You multiply that out in other areas of um, a marriage that's a blessing, usually. Children that are a blessing, usually. Friends. Health. But see, here's the problem. I want you to get this. When you... When you look at your friend, your child, your spouse, your job, as that which makes you complete and significant, you will inevitably be disappointed because you're putting a burden upon that person, that group that they were never meant to bear. See, if I see my friendships or my, my, my children, my grandchildren, wow, my, my, my wife, if I, see, if I see that as a signpost to the faithfulness of God, I am okay because everybody's going to have bad days and, and, and even the most intuitive, empathetic friend will not always pick up the cues you give that you need support. They'll just miss it. And the spouse, they'll just miss it. They'll have bad days. So, so if, if, I, if I look at the good gifts as a signpost from a faithful God, then, then I will be okay. But if I look at them as the end, I'll be all, I'm going to be disappointed because my health will fail. My relationships will fail. My, 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 nobody's going to live up to the lofty expectations that I bring to the table. I'm telling you, and I know the same is, is true of you. There's a hymn written by a guy named Wilbur Smith. It goes, it goes like this, Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, he my savior makes me whole. It's just a good hymn. But I like the friends may fail me, my enemies may assail me or attack me, but he my savior makes me whole. Listen, friends will fail, churches will fail you. A family's units will fail you. But if you see them as a signpost to the faithfulness of a living God, whose name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully revealed in the person of Christ, you will be okay. Number three, the way we break the spell of these things is to delight and rejoice in Christ. To delight in Him. Um, there's a book named, it's you know, a book, it's about a 50-page paper by a guy named Thomas Chalmers, who was a Scot that lived in the 1800s, a professor of mathematics, who's also a theologian, so he thought so clearly. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs. It's a, it's a wonderful little, you ought to read it. He says this, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Thus, it is not enough to hold out the, to the world the mirror of its own imperfection. 
It is not enough to come forth with a demonstration of the fleeting character of your enjoyments. Everybody knows that. Rather, try every legitimate method of finding access to your hearts for the love of Christ who is greater than the world. And what he's saying is that if you knock off the throne of your heart um, a, 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 an angry spirit towards people and you don't fill it with Christ, it's going to come back. You've got to have a new and deeper affection to take care of the old things. If you knock off your throne of your heart, lust and electric spirit and pornography, and you don't feel it with the greatness and the glory of Christ, it's going to come rushing right back or whatever. It's expulsive power of a new affection. And I'm saying that you, you glory in the greatness of Christ. And this example is given in a book I read. It says, one day Sally told me about how she got her life back. She went to a, a counselor, an unbelieving counselor, who rightly pointed out that she had been looking to men for her identity, for her salvation. Instead, the counselor proposed that she should get a career and become financially independent as a way of building up her self-esteem. The woman agreed wholeheartedly that she needed to stand on her own two feet economically, but resisted the advice about finding self-esteem in the marketplace. She said, I was being advised to give up a common female idolatry and take on a common male idolatry, she said. But I didn't want to have my self-worth dependent on career success any more than on the men. I wanted to be free. And she says, I found that freedom in Christ. Don't confuse the gift with the giver. It's a signpost. A glorious signpost. Thanks be to God for good gifts. Thanks be to God for families and relationships and embrace. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for wonderful meals. Thank you. But they flow from a great creator, God. So, so there's a, a, a series of movies based upon the books, The Lord of the Ring. They're just the best thing ever, I think. That and Braveheart and Gladiator and Cinderella Man. They're just there. Green Mile, Dumb and Dumber, all those great movies. <laughs> but in, in the, the Fellowship of the Ring, there is, there is a ring. And, and you know the story. If you, if you haven't seen the movies, really, please repent and go watch them. Sometimes I meet people say, I haven't ever watched The Lord of the Rings. So I thought, well, why? Why? It's like saying, I haven't, I'm not breathing today. I mean, it just makes no sense. Anyway, hope you feel convicted. There's a ring, and whoever has the ring is controlled by the ring. It's a great statement by Tolkien. So if you want to address injustice, you become potentially um, an authoritarian, arrogant person who thinks he's always right regarding other people. Uh, it, it, it takes any motivation, and it makes it backwards and bad. And there is in the movie a guy named... Smeagol, I think this picture of Smeagol is, uh, finds the ring and Smeagol owns the ring and Smeagol becomes Gollum. And it's a great statement about how unchecked ambition or idolatry, quite frankly, destroys. And in this passage, the way you break idolatry is to glory in the one 
who says, I'm gentle and humble of heart. See, and the other side of this whole argument, and Tolkien knew it very well, is that by the Holy Spirit, God changes us on the other way. He takes a persecutor of the church named Saul, who breathed out threats and hardly approved of the killing of God's people. It's amazing. And he converts him, and he becomes the apostle Paul. Or he takes Simons, who made legendary mistakes, and he changes him into the leader of the apostolic band called Petros or Peter or the rock. And by his Holy Spirit, he changes us today as we, as we trust in him. Are you weary and heavy laden? Are you yoked under Christ? And then fourthly, trusting in Christ, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So repenting and rejoicing always go together. Repenting is you make a adjustment as you read the scripture and, 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 and you rejoice in the goodness of God and repenting and rejoicing always go together. And if, if you have bad repenting, you always, you, 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 you fear somebody finding out. But if you have biblical good, good repenting, you hate the sin in your life and the sin around you and you want to do everything you can to be God's person. So part of the yoking process is repenting and rejoicing go together because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I'm preaching this next week, but as I read the Bible, is it really speaking to me? Is it really correcting my life? Has the Bible corrected you this week? God speaks in the Bible by the Holy Spirit, makes corrections. So are you yoked under Jesus? This is a great book. It's called Mere Christianity. It's just, just so good. It's not that big. You can read it. But let me read something that Lewis says in, in a book, excuse me, a chapter entitled Good Infection. This is so good. Lewis died in 1963. It says this. He said, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy and power and peace and eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them, which is the triune God. They are not a sort of price which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? What Lewis is saying is that, is that, Good infection happens as you get close to something. He says, if you want to be sprayed by the ocean, you don't go to Chattanooga, Tennessee, or Omaha, Nebraska. You come to Charleston, South Carolina, and you walk on the beach at full tide, maybe when the wind's blowing, and you're going to get salt water sprayed on you. And if you want to be close to the fire, you don't stand in a drizzly rain in the middle of the forest. You know, you get close to the bonfire. It says that's the way it is with the power of the living God. You get close to Christ and you are yoked underneath him and you take his word and you walk with his people and you're a person who calls out to him to have mercy. Listen, take on the yoke of Jesus every day. Well, I need to. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
I don't know what weary or heavy laden thing is going on in your life. We all have weary and heavy laden things, sometimes more, sometimes less. But take on the yoke of Christ, walk with him, and he'll bless you, he'll guide you, he'll guard you through the ups and the downs of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, these precious words uttered by the eternal God, the one who spoke the worlds into being, the, the one we know, reading Colossians, all things are made by you, through you, and for you. And now, eternal God, Lord Christ, you say to your, these, these people, come to me. All you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Lord, I pray for people here today who don't have rest in their souls because they've never come to Christ. They think they've got to do something. They've got to go on a pilgrimage. They've got to fill out a, a list of activities to be made right. And the only thing we, we do to be made right is to cry, call out, Lord Christ, you died on the cross for my sins. I run from my sin and I run to you. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of grace. So speak to us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.